Welcome to the Discipleship Webcast. I am Sophia Paquette, and I'm here with the one and only Robin Waller, who's going to be bringing some heat tonight. Bringing some spicy food. It's going to be extra, extra spicy tonight. I'm so pumped. So what are you sharing tonight? We're talking about moving from entitlement to uh, enslavement. Ooh, okay. So we're going from entitlement to enslavement. Mm. That's the direction we want to go. Right. Hopefully you didn't just sign off with the webcast. Um, and ho yeah, hopefully you haven't. Be and we're going to be right back with some news of the week. Okay, so hopefully you haven't logged off yet because we have some exciting news of the week. So this upcoming Sunday, we have Town Hall. So if you're a Simple Church Apprentice, leader, district leader, or you know someone fulfilling those roles, make sure that they're there on Sunday right after the live cast. You don't want to miss it. Our senior leadership team is going to bring some exciting updates um, Yeah, that you don't really want to miss. They're really paving our way through the rest of the summer mm -hmm. and into the fall. Yeah. Now, while we're still in summer, next week, Canada Day, Janu January, my goodness gracious, July 1st, we have a International Orientation to Canada Day celebration mm. happening. Really excited about this. Thank you, Claire and Mimi, for pulling it together. So if you know an international student mm. and you're looking for something fun to do on Canada yeah. Day, bring them out to this event. It's going to be great. You can find all the details on engage.leftchurch.ca or, of course, on the Left Church app. Amazing. And so um, you want to join us on July 3rd at 12 p.m. because we're going, we're going. to UTM. We're going there um, to pray over the campus, to pray alongside and with and for Carol, Shane, and Andrew as they till the ground this upcoming late summer. That's going to be amazing. Yes. Yeah, so you can sign up on engage.liftchurch.ca or on the Lift Church app, Lift Church Engage app for all the details. Now, as we move into some celebrations, I mm -hmm. want to give a huge shout out to our church for this past Sunday, pulling together to make our uh, backyard gatherings happen. Amazing. All regions were able to gather in person. This is truly incredible. And I yeah. think it's the first time that we've pulled off all regions doing it in some form since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. So way to go. Thank you to all the host homes that made it happen. Mm -hmm. People that pulled together projectors and <laughs> screens and tents and other magical devices yeah uh way to go and excited to see this continue to happen through the rest of the summer of course as things evolve we will evolve the gatherings but right yeah. now we're just happy that we can do something yes. somewhere check uh discord uh your discord region chat for details on which houses and where to go on mm -hmm. sunday awesome um, i want to celebrate caleb k josiah and gordon for making and delivering cupcakes all around the hamilton area our house was blessed by the cupcakes um yeah that's awesome mm -hmm. now while i was talking about gatherings i also want to give rachel brown a huge shout out yes so for some of you that are not able to gather in person we wanted to make sure that there was still a way to be a part yep. of the big Live Church family when we gather. And so Rachel Brown has stepped up to lead our online Discord gatherings mm -hmm. and uh, bringing all regions together. If you want to jump in on those, you yep. can do so in the general voice room on Discord mm -hmm. uh, right after Livecast. Rachel will be leading yep. those. So thanks, Rachel, for stepping yes. up. Appreciate you very much. 
Amazing. Okay, um, this next one is I'm super pumped it's about. It's a biggie. It's a biggie. So Lisa, Graham, and Prabir bought a house together in Ainsleywood, which is so incredible. I'm so excited for all three of them to pioneer a shared home ownership. Yeah. Um, this is the first one I've ever heard of. Yeah. So I'm really pumped as they continue to lean in as churches, family and proximity. Yeah, and to jump on that, I mean, uh, some of us have been exploring with how we can mm -hmm. be present on the campus. Yeah. Uh, by doing shared housing. You yeah. have people in your house, I have people in my house, lots of people are doing yeah. that uh, to try to find ways to be closer to the campus. Yeah. But huge kudos to Graham, Lisa, and Prabir for pioneering, yeah. actually sharing the purchase of a house together. Really yeah. cool initiative. And uh, thanks for leading our church in that. And to you guys, it's, it's been a long road. Yes. It's been not yes. easy. It's been not straightforward <laughs> yeah. filled with tears and prayer. Yeah. And just wanted to recognize that and say thank yes. you for leading so well in our church. Mm-hmm. Um, another celebration point is that this past Sunday, we got to gather groups of 10 as missionaries um, and have a joy day together. So you will see some pictures on your screen as people playing uh, lawn games, like minute to win it games. Um, it was just a really great time to just really be church's family and walk together as missionaries. Yeah, now that was for our in-training cohort. Mm -hmm. We do have a joy day for all missionaries coming up. July 24th, we believe, yes. I believe. Yes. Um, but thanks to everybody for uh, just a really great day for those in mm -hmm. training. Yes. And a uh, reminder that if you're not a missionary and you want to join it, there will be a new intake next spring. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, we're going to kick it over to Helena, who uh, normally is on the other side of the camera, That's but true. tonight she is sharing her own celebrations. So uh, thank you, Helena. And then we're going to pass it straight to Courtney. Uh, no, sorry, not Courtney, Kirsten, who is leading an interview this evening uh, that was pre-recorded. So excited to share mm -hmm. that, and then we'll be right back. So here's Helena and Kirsten. Hi, everyone. This week I'm celebrating the Amazing Race and how through it my simple church has been able to form the Amazing Race Amigos team with two international students. And we've been able to go on weekly walks and get the gift of growing in relationship with them through it. And we even plan on continuing to do so even after the amazing race is over. Hey everybody, I'm here with Liv Machado from Mohawk and we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, the role of invitation and what that's been like for her. So, uh, hey Liv, how's it going? It's going great, how are you? Good. So uh, first off, just kind of tell me, how did you become a part of Lyft Church? Uh, who invited you? How did that all go? I first became a part of Lyft uh, when I was scrolling through Facebook one day and I joined the Mohawk College Students Discord. And through there, I met Kirsten and Matt and Meg. Um, and then through there, I got a nice extended invitation from Kirsten to join her simple church. And meeting every week i d got this deeper relationship with all these lovely ladies from lyft and that's where i joined lyft church that's so cool i love that it's just like you kind of highlight that it's just these little things like scrolling through facebook and see a post and then like a little message from one person um so kind of expand on that a little bit what role did that invitation play in your life uh and how uh what is belonging to simple church meant to you the invitation kind of changed me a lot and to me, it's kind of crazy um, because I never felt super close in my relationship to God. 
And just through meeting each week with a small group of ladies in our simple church, which when I joined, I had no idea what a simple church was, but just through meeting every week and reading stories and verses from the Bible, and then us voicing our thoughts and meanings of each verses really helped me become closer to God and kind of strengthen my faith. Um, I grew up in a, uh, Catholic household and I went to Catholic elementary school and Catholic high school and growing up in the in school it kind of felt like here are your set rules Mm -hmm. here are what you need to do what you need to believe in and it kind of felt like it was forced on me that my religion was no longer my choice it's something Mm -hmm. that I was taught to do Um, which kind of just made me a little bit uneasy that I didn't have my own choices. And when I got invited to um, Lyft through Kirsten, it was a complete 180 Mm. from what I had initially had in school where I'm okay to have different thoughts or bring up my opinions on on different things. And, And it really just... It's crazy how Kirsten really helped me through this one invitation come back into my relationship with God. It it was amazing. It's great. Well, it's so cool. I love just like at the end there, you kind of highlight that, like the just the power that one invitation has and like how that can help change people's lives. So maybe that's the answer, but why is it important to invite people uh, around us to be in relationship with our uh, with us and our church family? Well, not only is like one invitation can change everything for you, but one invitation can open the doors to compl- to meeting a completely different community of people mm-hmm. where everyone is diverse and everyone is so kind and welcomes you with open arms. Um, when I went to church when I was younger, we didn't have that sense of community, even though I went every Sunday. Right. Um, but lift everyone's there for you everyone wants to help you out um and they don't necessarily i'm going to say care that you came from different Mm -hmm. parts of life yeah because life is different for everybody everyone comes from a different path and paths are never straight so they're gonna be there for you and welcome you with open arms 110 percent of the time Oh, that's so cool. I love that so much. And I'm just so, so incredibly thankful that that's, um, that's your experience with our church and that that's, uh, that's the kind of church that we have. Um, so I'm just going to pray for you as we finish up. Uh, thank you so much for chatting. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for Liv and, uh, just her willingness to come and share her story about what, um, what it looks like to share invitations and what what that can do for people. And I just thank you so much that she's such a vibrant um, and beautiful part of our church family, Lord. And I just pray that uh, as she reflects on the power of invitation in her own life, that uh, that would be something that she would just go out and replicate and uh, just embrace and help other people come to uh, this beautiful relationship um, with the church community and with you, Lord. And I just pray that... Uh, you would just continue to strengthen her relationship with you, continue to help her um, know more of who you are and uh, grow deeper in love with our church family as well, Lord. Thank you in your name. Amen. Amen.
Thanks, Liv. It's great to talk to you. Thanks. You're soon good to talk to you too. Bye. All right. Well, thanks so much for that interview. That was great and excited to share uh, the Discipleship Resource of the Week with you. Now, for this week, I wanted to do it actually by going to the Lift Church app, which I have right on my bar here. It's the only thing approximating a social media app on my phone. And uh, I guess other than Discord, but anyway. Uh, so here I tap on this app and then I tap the little top right here because I'm logged in. I go down to resources and there's a new guide available right here. Objectivity, not opinion from uh, experience in individuality, part three. And so I'm going to download this. I'm just going to tap the download link. It's already pre-filled in. Just hit download and I'll get a little notification. I'll tap that guy right there. And it opens up the guide for me, Objectivity Not Opinion. Now this guide in particular was written to help us navigate the challenges of valuing people's individuality and individual experiences while standing on the unshakable eternal truths that God has given us in scripture. How do we work those things together? This guide and that webcast episode was written to help us do that as a church with grace, compassion, and kindness, but also with uh, firmness and confidence in the gospel. And so if you've been struggling to figure out how to listen well, but also communicate truth to people, this guide is for you. Check it out on engage.liftchurch.ca or the Lift Church app. Other than that, we're going to send it over to Kelsey for today's Daily Devo Reflection, and then we are back for the final part of our First Things series of teaching. Hey Church, my name is Kelsey, and I'm a Simple Church leader from McMaster Region A. Today I'll be sharing a Daily Devo Reflection for Genesis chapter 22. So in this chapter, God asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, on the altar as an offering to him. And although it seems like a really absurd ask, Abraham does what he's been called to do. And what I find really cool is that just when Isaac is about to be killed, God provides a ram instead. Um, and I think this just really points us to Jesus because at the end of the day, ultimately, God is the one who sacrifices his only son um, to save us, and we don't save ourselves. So my encouragement for you is that when you feel like you're being asked to do something that you feel like you can't do, um, just remember that God will always provide, and he's always faithful, even when we aren't. So I hope that's an encouragement for you, and enjoy the rest of the webcast. All right. Well, I'm glad to be back for our final installment of our First Thing series. It's been quite the journey, hasn't it? We've covered a lot of important uh, and potentially challenging subjects to help us navigate how to prioritize things in our life. But not so much prioritize our tasks, but rather prioritizing ideas. Ideas really matter, and it's important that we get our ideas arranged in the right order of significance. The reason this is, is that if you take an idea that is a good idea, but not a primary idea, but you treat it like it's a primary idea, that is to say you take a second thing and you treat it like a first thing, you will end up losing the second thing and the thing that ought to be the first thing. 
It's important that our ideas flow in the right order, that we put first things first. Now we've talked about why it's important to have Jesus' lordship be more important than the labels we adopt. We talked about why we need to move from opinions to objectivity. We've talked about why we need to uh, move from uh, a sense of justice that flows from ideology to a sense of justice that flows from the image of God in every person. And today, to wrap things up, we're going to talk about we, this idea that we need to move from entitlement or fairness to enslavement. Now, the second thing here is, is, is really interesting. Entitlement or fairness needs to be the second thing behind the first thing of enslavement. Now, let me explain this a little bit, uh, what I mean. So, so when I say entitlement, what I'm referring to is not a pejorative word around like I'm owed this, but rather uh, a sense of pursuit of what is owed to us in life or what is fair. The pursuit of fairness, the pursuit of uh, I am owed these things because I've done the work. Now, let me say this, fairness and entitlement to receive that which we have rightly worked for, these are good things. In fact, not only are they uh, good ideas, they're biblical ideas. If you've been reading along with us in Daily Devos through the book of Proverbs, Proverbs really seeks to establish that there is a, an order to the universe, that there's an order to how we conduct ourselves, how we ought to conduct ourselves morally. In that, and within that, Fairness, treating people fairly, is an important part of it. Within the broader idea of fairness is the notion that we will reap what we sow, that there are consequences for our actions. There are good consequences for good actions, and there are bad consequences for bad actions. Therefore, we should be entitled to uh, good outcomes for good actions, and on the other hand, we should be entitled to negative consequences for our bad actions. And this is good. We should desire fairness. We should desire uh, equality. We should desire uh, kind and, and, and equitable treatment of all people. These are really good things. But the question I want to ask is this. Does our expectation for fairness and entitlement arise from the life and death of Jesus? Does the life and death of Jesus inform what we sense we are entitled to and what we feel is fair, or does our sense of fairness and entitlement come from our culturally conditioned sense of progress? It's not so much that fairness and entitlement are necessarily bad things. The question is, what is fair? And what are we entitled to? And where are we getting those ideas from? What's informing our sense of fairness and entitlement? Is it the life, death, and resurrection and subsequent call to following Jesus as Lord? Is that what informs our sense of fairness? Or do we get our sense of fairness from our culture and what our culture tells us is progress. 
If we place a cultural vision of fairness first, we will end up losing true fairness, true equality, true kindness. And I want to demonstrate to you five reasons why. And five reasons why being enslaved to Jesus as Lord is better. It is better to be enslaved to Jesus as Lord and adopt the posture of a servant than it is to walk with an entitled attitude through life. And I want to walk us through five reasons why that is the case. Number one, and this is really building off of what we talked about last week. It is impossible, underscore, underline, highlight the word impossible, to love our enemies while clinging to fairness. It is impossible to love our enemies while clinging to fairness. If fairness is our first thing, then we cannot obey Jesus. Why is that? Because Jesus has commanded us. He hasn't encouraged us. He hasn't suggested. He hasn't uh, offered it as an option on the platter of options. No, he has commanded us to love our enemies, to love our enemies. Now, the very fact that they are enemies of us, that someone is our enemy, suggests that there is some kind of wrong, some kind of sense of injustice that has been committed. There is some capacity, if they are our enemy, in which we have been treated unfairly or unjustly. And yet, if Jesus has commanded us to love our enemies, we cannot love them if we are making the requirement for fairness a first thing. No, Jesus' lordship, our enslavement to Jesus, must be more important to us than our pursuit of fairness. Otherwise, we cannot love our enemies. You see, if the primary orientation of our relationship is motivated by the fact that we have been wronged by someone, Therefore, if, that's, if, if the fact that we have been wronged is what frames our relationship, then the only way that we can move towards that person is to have the wrong righted, to, in other words, move towards fairness. What this does is it locks us into a cycle of resentment, bitterness, and hatred. If the only way that we can restore a relationship requires that our enemies right their wrongs, which they may not want to do, then we cannot see restoration of that relationship. The cycle of grievances is impossible to break if the aim of the game is fairness. One of the parties must move towards the other party in a free act of unfair grace if there is to be reconciliation. And if we are to love Jesus, we must love our enemies. Therefore, we must place our desire to love our enemies as more important than the pursuit of fairness. Now, the power of the cross, the story of the gospel, is that the, the fact that we were enemies of God, like Jesus models this, we were enemies of God, we had wronged him, we had offended God's sense of justice, and yet... 
the way that God reconciled to us was not by demanding that we correct the wrong. No, the way that God reconciled to us was by him coming to us. While we were enemies, the scripture says, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Fairness cannot be the dominant rule of life. Rather, obedience to Christ's lordship, enslavement to Christ's lordship, and his definition of love must take precedence over fairness. We must be the first mover in unfair grace. That's the first thing. The second thing that happens is that entitlement, when we adopt an entitled posture to life, allows us to think and behave self-righteously. Self-righteously. Now, you see, when our lives are motivated by fairness, we begin to believe and think and act that we are owed something in this world. That something or someone owes us for what we have done. Now, it's true that if we work, it, we are owed our wages. Uh, and if we do good things, we should expect positive outcomes from that. And this is true. But the problem with adopting an attitude that says, I am always owed what is good. And I should always only receive good things. And I should always have life go my way. And things should always work out the way I want them to. The problem with this is that it needs to be framed within a broader understanding of our own sinfulness. What we are owed, what you are owed, and what I am owed is not a perfect life where everything works out the way we want. No, what you and I are actually owed if we are going to cling to a rigid sense of fairness, is quite simply death. Our inheritance in Adam is death. As Romans says, the wages of our sin is death. If we are going to adopt a posture of, well, life should always be fair, I should always get what I am entitled to, I should always get what I is rightfully mine, then we should and ought to receive death. The demand that life be fair is essentially, therefore, self-righteous, because it denies the fact that God has given us that which is unfair, grace. Now, if we take this even further, this idea that I am owed something, that life should work out the way I want it to, we can begin to believe that we are owed something by God, that God owes us something. Like God owes it to me that he answers my prayers. God owes it to me that life works out the way I want. God owes it to me that everything pans out perfectly for me. Yet we forget that God does not owe us anything. We are indebted to God, and yet he has reconciled to us. Our sense of fairness needs to be properly uh, positioned in humility, not self-righteousness before God to say, God, whatever comes at me in this life, I praise you and I thank you that I am freely a recipient of your love and grace, even though what I actually deserve is death and judgment. We must 
accept this. We must see this as Christians, that we have not received what is fair for us, and we have received that which is unfair, which is Jesus' free love. But if we have a posture of entitlement, a posture of, well, I should always get what I want, I should always get what I deserve, we will tend to always see the way in which we are owed by other people and owed by our circumstances, the ways in which we are right and correct, and we will not see the ways in which we are mistaken, flawed, or outright sinful. If we have an entitled or fairness-driven posture to life, we will tend to overemphasize our righteousness and underemphasize our sinfulness. Now, this pursuit or this emphasis on our self-righteousness has a very dangerous consequence. If my, the goal in life is that I should always get what I want or that I'm entitled to what I want, therefore, I should be able to behave however I want. And I should be able to, uh, I should be free to do whatever I want. What's most important is my own freedom, my own self-expression. And we begin to believe that the ultimate path towards our own fulfillment is in self-determining our lives. See, entitlement wires us to believe that the best way for me to be happy, the best way for me to be filled, is for me to do whatever I want. Because that's what's fair for me, that I get what I want. Now, what happens is, as we self-determine and embrace this newfound freedom, this sense of, like, I can fulfill myself by doing whatever I want and achieve my own sense of personal justice, we become enslaved to our behaviors. Listen to what Romans 6 says. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves as someone, as obedient slaves, uh, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness, it goes on to say, you become the enslaved to the one that you obey. Sorry, the verse, uh, I didn't pass along enough of a verse to the team. There's a start on the screen. But Romans 6 says, you become enslaved to that which you obey. It is not true that the path to greatest freedom is through our entitlement to self-expression. It is not true that the path to greatest happiness is uh, unlimited, unconstrained freedom. It is a trap. We become enslaved to whatever habits we obey. We are only truly free. We are only truly liberated when we become enslaved to Christ's lordship. All of us are enslaved to something. We're either enslaved to our habits, our dreams, our desires, our addictions, our sin, or we are enslaved to Christ. But when we have an entitled posture to life that says, I should get what I want, we will inevitably become enslaved to our sin. It's only when we act in humility, recognizing the lordship of Christ over us, that we can truly be liberated from the false pursuit of our own freedom. Our true liberation is only found in Christ. True liberty, true freedom, is a product of surrender and enslavement in Christ.
Romans 6.22, but now since you have been set free from sin and believe, you've become enslaved to God. You have your fruit, the results of sanctification, and the result, the outcome, is eternal life. Entitlement traps us in our self-righteousness. Enslavement liberates us to freedom in relationship with God. Number three, entitlement enslaves us to our culturally conditioned expectations for life. The normative expectation in the West, that is in Canada in particular, is that our lives, like the, our lives should move towards prosperity, self-sufficiency, and comfort. We expect that if we do the right things in life, that if we manage our lives properly, the way that we can know we have managed our lives properly is if we see increased prosperity, increased self-sufficiency, and increased comfort. Life is going well for me if those are in play. And as a result, we believe that so long as we do the right things, we should be entitled. It is owed to us prosperity, self-sufficiency, and comfort. Well, what happens if we make our entitlement to prosperity, self-sufficiency, and comfort primary? Well, according to Romans 6, which I just quoted, we will become enslaved to those things. We will obey our pursuit of comfort, and it will enslave us. We will not be able to imagine a life of discomfort. We become enslaved to a pursuit of self-sufficiency, and we could not imagine a life of interdependency on others or on God. And we become enslaved to the pursuit of prosperity. We could not imagine a life of true generosity. You see, in the West, we are unbelievably rich in possessions and experiences, and yet, as far as I can tell, we are not more free. We are not more free. What are we enslaved to as Christians? Do we have a sense of entitlement that what I am owed so long as I do the right things and have a nominal Christian life, that life should, I can expect it to be free from pain, suffering, or challenge. Is this, does this promise line up with the promise of Jesus? Moreover, if we make the pursuit of comfort, prosperity, and self-sufficiency something that we are entitled to, what if Christ calls us to do that which is not those things? We will be unable to because we are enslaved. The trouble is that the promises of Jesus do not fit with prosperity, self-sufficiency, and comfort. We actually need to read the New Testament to find out what we are, in fact, entitled to. What does the New Testament tell us we are entitled to? A lot of this teaching was derived um, under the influence, to a certain degree, of a guy named John Yoder. He was a, a theologian. Um, he wrote a great book called The Politics of Jesus. And he said this, he said, to follow after Christ is not simply to learn from him, but also to share in his destiny. What is the destiny of Christ? Well, let's ask the scriptures to find out what we are entitled to if our destiny is in Christ. 
John 15. Slaves are not greater than their masters. As they persecuted me, they will persecute you. 2 Timothy 3.12, persecution will come to all who live a godly life as Christians. Philippians 1.29, you have been granted the privilege of not only believing in Christ, but of suffering for him. 1 Peter 4.3, you share in Christ's sufferings, for that is cause for joy. And so on, and so on, and so on. You see, if we become entitled to comfort, prosperity, and self-sufficiency, we will lose our capacity to suffer with our Savior, to endure, to persevere, to, to plumb the riches of the joys of laboring with Christ in the manner of Christ by laying our lives down just as Christ did for us. We should consider it a joy to sacrifice, suffer, and labor for his name. The Christian life should not be one of entitlement to success and achievement. Rather, it should be one to entitlement of self-sacrifice if we are to be like Christ. Why is this so important? Because if we are not careful, we will begin to believe and structure our lives and become enslaved to the promise of our world that satisfaction is in stuff, experiences, career, and so forth. And we will trade away the true joy that is found in a deep, faith-based, trust-driven relationship with Jesus. We will trade the satisfaction, the joy, the absolute unbelievable joy of walking with Jesus for stuff if we are entitled. Jesus is calling us. He desires to know us. And he invites us to be surrendered to his lordship. Not the lordship of this world, but that is not accomplished by being entitled to the things of this world. We must let go. We must say, Jesus, if you choose to bless me with prosperity, cool, but I will not pursue it. If you choose to bless me with comfort, I will receive it and say thank you. But my pursuit, what I aim for is not those things. What I aim for is obedience to you, enslavement to you, because only you will truly satisfy. Let me not be enslaved to anything else other than the satisfaction and sufficiency of Christ. I'm preaching today. All right. Number four. Entitlement robs us of freedom here and now. Our world generally assumes that the only way that we can progress, the only way that we can advance, the only way that we can experience satisfaction or fulfillment is if we have increased positions of power. That we must increase in self-sufficiency, comfort, uh, positional authority, and it's only when those things increase that we can say we've advanced in life. This is not, let me reiterate, this is not the teaching of the New Testament. I'm going to say something maybe interesting that 
some of you might kind of, it might rattle, you might go like, wait a second, there's no way, but this is true. Historically, en masse, over the span of his human history, uh, over the last 2,000 years, Christians have been typically, on balance, in a powerless position. The early church was founded under the boot of the combination of uh, the local Jewish leaders and, more largely than that, the tyrannical boot of the Roman leaders. And the first 350 years, 380 years, give or take, of the church, the church was under tremendous tyranny. If you have a myopic view of of the Christian world, you'll have this perception that Christians are the all-powerful and dominant force, but that is not the case historically. And it was certainly not the case under which the New Testament was written. The New Testament was written by an oppressed, (laughs) on-the-run, fearful group of, of blended Jews and Gentiles trying to figure out how to live in a world that hated them. If you don't believe me, read the story of, of uh, read First Peter again. And read about what Nero was doing to the first century Christians. More broadly than that, uh, Christians currently in our world, as of today, are the most persecuted religious group in the world. The, uh, the British Foreign Office from the British government, conducted a study of, of the, the entire world looking at persecuted people groups and religions. More than 80% of people groups persecuted for religion, more than 80% of them are Christians. I bet you're not hearing that in a classroom in North America. <laughs> but if we zoom out from our Western perspective and look at what's happening globally, Typically, the church is not in a position of power. It's in a position where it is, uh, in some manner, persecuted or oppressed. And it was into this context of, uh, of oppression and powerlessness that the New Testament was written. The New Testament was not written to the powerful. This is so important. The New Testament was written to the powerless. And so we should read it to understand what does it mean? How does it? How do we work out freedom in the here and the now? And it was into this position of powerlessness that Paul wrote to the Colossians. He says something fascinating. He says, "Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord." Now, this passage has been. Uh, obviously abused in history. Is Paul endorsing slavery? No, absolutely not. Of course not. Read the rest of Paul's writing. To suggest that Paul was endorsing slavery is a grotesque reading of the scriptures. So why then is Paul telling slaves to obey their masters? Well, what is he doing? He's calling the most powerless people group in in that society Christian slaves. Like, like they, they really had nothing going for them. And he says to them, hey, your Lord, the one that you really serve, is not the boot of tyranny over you. 
It's not really the master that's over you. The one you really serve is the Lord who has freed you and redeemed you. Though you may be ruled, though you may not have human freedom, though you may find yourself in an unjust system, you are a free moral agent who is ultimately surrendered to his maker and redeemer. He invites the slave, despite their powerless position, to discover the freedom that is found in Christ, despite their powerlessness. Now, should we seek to change broken systems? Of course. Should we, uh, simply because freedom is offered in Christ, assume that everything is okay and we should not change it? Of course not. But we must recognize and we must see that true freedom is not found in the absence of human systems and powers. All human systems are sinful. All human power structures are going to result in some kind of oppression. And therefore, true freedom, true liberty, is found only in enslavement to Christ. True freedom is ultimately only found when our lives are completely, totally, and utterly surrendered before Christ. And anyone, in any position, in any circumstance, can walk that freedom out. That is true liberty. Before I into my fifth thought, I'm cognizant of, uh, as I was preparing this teaching, some of the tensions um, with it, and I think that this stands to reason, but I do want to recognize the particular pain uh, today and just uh, last night with the news of what's happened at another one of the uh, residential schools and the connection of the church to that. I think that it would be unfair for me to not recognize the the um, the disconnect between the, uh, the wrongs that have been committed to the indigenous people of Canada in the name of the church and what I just was talking about. And there is obviously a massive gulf between the kind of Jesus that I'm talking about here and the kind of church that was reflected there. And so... Please let us derive our theology and our vision of what the church ought to be from the story of the, the New Testament and the story of the scriptures. We do not need to defend, we cannot defend what has happened. That is, uh, it's wrong. And so I just want to recognize that there's a tension there um, between what we're reading and what I just taught and, and, and some of what's happening in our, in our country today. And I think it would be wrong to, to not uh, recognize that uh, that although there is a degree to which Christians are oppressed, that in some cases that is, <laughs> oppression has been done in the name of the church. So I don't want us to be distracted by not mentioning it, so rather I just mention it and say, hey, like that is, that is significant. And we grieve. Um, actually, this week I, I sat on a call um, with um, 
indigenous leaders from across our country um, of every every type from uh, the Northwest Territories all the way through uh, to Quebec and BC and to Ontario here and um, just listened and learned and uh, these were Christian leaders Christian indigenous peoples and they just yeah it's tough days it's tough days for our country so I just want to know under that Last thing I wanted to see in entitlement here is that we must embrace our position as slaves. Our position as slaves. We are all enslaved to something. We cannot help it. We cannot hide it. Our true freedom is found only in total, complete, life-giving surrender to Jesus. When we forsake our entitlements to the things of this world and instead take up our position as slaves to Christ. Listen to Philippians chapter 3. And I close with this. Indeed, I count everything as loss. I'm not entitled to anything because of the surpassing, glorious, magnificent worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. What happens, according to Paul, when we become enslaved, when we count everything else as lost, when we give up our rights, we give up our entitlement, we give up what we are owed? We find, verse 10, that I might know the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death and therefore like him in glory. That's what it means to be enslaved in Christ. Thanks, guys. We're going to go to Q&A here in just a sec. I'll get Soph to join me. And uh, it's been a fun evening so far. So get your questions in, and I would love to dialogue. So we'll be right back.
lot of space tonight. Um, but it was, I think, so powerful, so necessary, because um, I was just out there writing notes and trying to not get a hand cramp <laughs> along the way. But I just thought it was, it's, I think, so easy for us to be entitled because we think we've earned something, we think we got the right to do whatever. I think, especially in relationships. Oh. I don't even touch on that. Yeah. My, my gracious, that would be a whole other message. Yeah, because I think, like, I was just kind of talking about this with Christian recently. Just, like, sometimes I feel as though there's a fairness or entitlement that I have because I do X, Y, and Z. But that's not the point of marriage. That's not really the point of, like, what Jesus came to do. Because mm -hmm. he literally came to die for us and put his life. He didn't say, hey, this is not fair, you know. Like, I don't. I don't want to go to the cross. Or like, like, hey, like, I'm God. Like, why is nobody... <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was a really good point. And I think also the... Really, your first point of, like, um, Jesus commanded us to mm. love. Which I think gets mm. muddled. <laughs> in... Suggested. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's another passage that says, if, um, if we do not forgive our enemies, he will not forgive us. Mm. I don't know if I've ever preached that passage because I don't, I don't know if I'm know. ready to. Like that's that's, that's like that's some that's that's serious. That's a heavy hitter. That's a so um, yeah, it's interesting to highlight the uh, the relationship mm -hmm. piece because I mean that's that's Ephesians chapter five. Like husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his, himself up for her. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the 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 basis of Christian marriage is not entitlement but rather self sacrifice. Mm. Um, so. Okay, Gordon has a question here. Can you clarify what you feel is wrong with self-sufficiency or what you may go wrong, or like how it may go wrong with it? I equate that with responsibility or living within your means, etc. particularly in light of the Second Thessalonians. Yeah, great question, Gordon. Um, and a really good, uh, I think, request for clarity because I could be misunderstood here. Uh, so let's start by what I am not saying. And what scripture does see. Scripture does teach very clearly that people need to take responsibility for their lives. Mm. Um, that um, essentially let the, the person who doesn't work should right. go hungry. Right. And this is an important principle because what scripture is trying to teach is that, that we were made to work, we were made to contribute, and that if we take away the responsibility of, of people to work, mm. to contribute in order to receive, we're actually robbing them of their humanity. Hmm. This is why uh, just giving free gifts to everybody in perpetuity is actually a very unkind thing to do because right. it, it takes away their own agency or self-responsibility. Right. Um, and, and so the scripture is quite clear, not just in 2 Thessalonians, but also I believe hmm. in 2 Timothy and explicitly and repeatedly throughout the book of Proverbs. Right. Emphasizes personal responsibility to, to uh, take responsibility for the outcomes of our lives. Right. So in that sense, self-sufficiency is really important. But that's not quite, I think, the value of self-sufficiency in our culture. In fact, our culture kind of actually rejects that kind of self-sufficiency by encouraging mm -hmm. us to pursue the easiest path and mm -hmm. receive freebies, uh, you know, freebies and giveaways yeah. as quickly as possible so that we can do as little work as possible. Mm -hmm. No, the self-sufficiency that I was critiquing was the self-sufficiency that says, I don't need anybody else. Right. I don't need community. I don't need my brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. I can just do my own uh, life however mm -hmm. I want. What matters most is that I'm satisfied and sufficient in myself. Right. I don't have to be a part of anything else. 
Um, but, uh, and that is the opposite of what um, the self-sufficiency, mm-hmm. or the sufficiency that we're encouraged towards in, right. in Scripture, which is encouraging us to work together with other people for the benefit of all as well right. as ourselves. The self-sufficiency mm-hmm. of our culture is to work only so that I benefit. can... That I can benefit right. and be on my own. So Yeah, and I think that's why research sharing is such a powerful way that our church can kind of yeah. band together. Exactly. So we want to encourage... Um, like hard work is one mm-hmm. of the biggest gifts, best gifts in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a difference between hard work and uh, assuming that life is better on my own. Right. So. Um, okay, so Jen asks, I was feeling in my life financial stress brings me to identity, my life's purpose with money. But there was a time where I had no money. Um, she wrote entitlement in quotes. I felt whole and save how does one stay the course through suffering so i think that um maybe i have to clarify here but i think that that was a comment which is a good comment um um which is that when you had less you felt less entitled but you actually felt more secure i, th- I think that's what that's saying um but anyway we can we can yeah, talk about the, yeah. the question i'm not exactly sure what that first piece means there's a number of just ways you could read it appreciate you jen um but for the question, how does one stay the course through suffering? Uh, so the first, I think, key here is to recognize that suffering does not mean that we are outside of God's purposes. Mm. In fact, it very likely means that we are inside of God's purposes. Right. It does not mean that something is wrong. In fact, it very likely means that actually something is right. Mm. In fact, I would go so far as to suggest that there's very little good in life that doesn't come with some suffering. Yeah. I can't, like, I mean at the risk of being cliche, like parenting is the classic here. Right. Parenting is like 99% suffering, <laughs> but the 1% of gold is like unbelievable gold. Right. Uh, and so I think we first need to get our worldview right here, which is that suffering is not evil. Right. Uh, in the sense that suffering is sometimes, like, uh, let me clarify. Suffering is often evil, but suffering right. doesn't mean that something is wrong or that we're outside of God's purposes. Right. And so we first that orients us to instead of going, why God is something wrong? Why have you abandoned me? Mm. To instead go, God, give me the strength to persevere in your purposes. Right. So our posture changes from one of resentment of God to one of gratitude for God. Mm. Uh, and a really, really good book on this subject is The Call to Joy and Pain by Ajith Fernando. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a Sri Lankan pastor. Um and wrote a great book on how to persevere. Mm. Uh, another tip is actually to look at the stories of the saints. And by saints, I mean just Christians that have gone before us. Right. And their stories. This is where I really find. So, like, you look at the story of, um, like, Jim Elliot's uh, um, wife. Jim Elliot was um, martyred in the pursuit of sharing the gospel. And his wife had this really difficult life as a result. Mm-hmm but the joy with which he walked bearing the gospel. Hmm. So rather than giving practical tips, I think actually drawing from the strength of other believers and their stories hmm. of faithfulness. So, um, awesome. yeah. Okay, so yeah, Shane says, the number of times I've heard faith is an individual journey breaks my heart. Yeah. So yeah. true. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Dan noted that um, parallel to discipleship, 90% suffering and the teeny bit of golden <laughs> people is so worth it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, discipleship. Yeah. Yes. So, I also want to say, Caleb, I don't think you did anything wrong in posting it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important that we can, uh, I think, uh, be honest with these things. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it was 
like a, I, my heart just absolutely sank. Mm-hmm. We were, I was actually, um, last night we had uh, Emily and Soph Strawn over from Brock to pray mm-hmm. with us, uh, well, for dinner, and we were praying together at our house. Mm-hmm. And as we were praying, I saw that news broke, break, mm-hmm. and we were just, uh, we, uh, my heart, so, mm-hmm. yeah, we're just led to pray for you. Uh, Caleb, and mm-hmm. not just you, but other Indigenous people. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I think we got some more questions coming in here. Yes, I think there's lots of typing. Um, yeah, I'm just looking through my notebook because I I kept writing and writing. I I think my pen is dead now. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, yeah. Make sure you send in your questions. Open pit copper mining. Okay, that's an interesting um, metaphor. Appreciate it. We're uh, just embracing all the geologists yep. in the crowd. Yep. Um, yep. I think one concept that I think I'm going to continue to wrestle with is just my pursuit and my aim mm. needs to be to be enslaved for Christ. Like, that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah. And I think that requires a lot of humility. Yeah. Um, and a lot of dying to ourselves, uh, which I think is going to be just a lifelong journey. Um, Abby is asking, can you expand on the idea of entitlement robbing us of freedom in the here and now? Yeah, for sure, Abby. I think I, I sort of maybe didn't expand that idea as well as I could have. Um, what I'm trying to get at here is that when we're entitled, mm-hmm. what it does is it, it positions us to become resentful uh, of our of the position we're in, and only look at at the people who are wronging us or owe us something, okay. or uh, robs us, or it forces us to wish that everything was different. Right. And I think the freedom that we have in mm-hmm. Christ and the freedom that we see in the New Testament is rather a freedom that says, yes, things may be difficult, they may be wrong, we may be stuck in unjust systems mm-hmm. that might be like a grotesque unjust system, like right. slavery, or it could be a more um, a smaller unjust system, like we didn't get the raise that we feel like we were doing our right. job or something. Yeah. So let's take the raise example, mm-hmm. right? If you become entitled, an entitled person says, I am owed that raise. Maybe you are owed that raise. Right. But entitlement starts to drive that 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 posture. Mm. You will become resentful, angry, bitter mm-hmm. um, towards your employer and the people you work with and the people around you. Right. And as a result, you will have no freedom. Mm. Versus... What we're often in Christ is to say, well, I'm not enslaved to my job. Mm-hmm. My identity is not tied up in what I right. earn. Therefore, I can walk in freedom even though I'm probably owed this. Yeah. And it becomes far more inconsequential to us. Hmm. Um, another example is like is the classic of like, I'm owed this opportunity. Mm-hmm. We become resentful when we didn't get the opportunity. Yeah. Entitlement almost always breeds resentment when it's not fulfilled hmm. uh, is the key. But rather what we're called to is a posture of humility that says, thank you, Lord, that I'm even alive. Yeah. Thank you that there's breath in my lungs. Yeah. Um, That's so, really good. Um, does that help, Abby? I hope so. These are more questions coming in here. Yes, we have a few more people typing. So keep typing away those questions. Um, yeah. I thought, yeah, I think that's something that will, we'll, myself and probably our whole church We'll continue to journey on with as we continue to die. really it's dying to ourselves oh yeah like an entitlement's hard to spot because it feels like it's a justice issue right 
right? Like it feels like I'm owed this. Yeah. And, and the, the point with entitlement is self-righteous entitlement is when we're not owed it, but we think mm-hmm. we are. But there's cases where we are actually entitled to something right. and we're not going to get it. And well, now what? Right. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. Okay. So Laura's asking any practical tips for how to address attitudes of entitlement or how to recognize its symptoms. <laughs> and then five fire emojis and a pointing up finger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> popular, popular vote. Um, any tips? So uh, the first is maybe, maybe you can re- I relate to this that sense of like of I've been wronged mm-hmm. or uh, I feel offended mm. uh, that, that sense of offense is mm-hmm. a really good one like when you feel offended or or they did that right um, is a really common one the, the emotion of offense yeah uh, another common uh, attitude of entitlement is when um, we we do something mm-hmm. But then our satisfaction or our attitude after doing it, especially after doing something that cost us something, right. is resentment or bitterness or anger rather than joy. Mm. If we, after doing something for someone, um, are not experiencing joy, mm-hmm. there's probably, not 100%, but there's a good chance that there's entitlement underneath that. Right. Where we're expecting a thank you or an acknowledgement. Right. Uh, and when we don't get that, we're angry or mm-hmm. um, it'll be another yeah uh, another big one I feel that kind of ties into a bit of the secure identity pieces oh uh, definitely <laughs> is, for sure but so, I mean the identity piece of servant is really what we're talking right. about right right um, another common symptom is when we feel the urge to talk poorly about other people mm. so gossiping is entitlement mm. is connected to entitlement um Venting our frustrations about other people. Mm. Hey, I, I just I just got to get something off my chest. Right. Can we? Right. I just, just like that is entitlement. Mm. Uh, and entitlement will be resentment. Resentment right. it's bitterness. As I think it's Hebrew says, it will grow up into a root and defile many. Mm. Stuff breeds. Okay, John is asking: Can entitlement eventually lead to defeatist attitude, and how could we respond? Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to that question, but okay. really quickly, I just realized, any practical tips for how to address attitudes of entitlement? Uh, I got one tip. Confession. Mm. Acknowledge it to somebody, not as a venting about the other person, but confessing the posture of your heart. I'm right. feeling resentful. Right. I'm feeling bitter. I'm feeling angry. Don't make it about the other person. Make sin in your own confess it speak it into being and watch it die Mm. that would be my Mm. my tip but can entitlement eventually lead to a defeatist attitude yeah for sure because if you feel like you're entitled Mm -hmm. and you never receive you're just going to become a really bitter bitter, angry um, defeated cynical person Um, so yes (laughs) how do we respond what do we do um I, I think, as I just said, confession mm-hmm. will help a lot. Right. Uh, but I think also getting underneath it to really plumb the the the, the depths of Jesus' love for us. Mm. Kind of like last week, it goes back to my point about experiencing the joy of enslavement to Christ, even when we're stuck in an unjust system. That only makes sense if you have experienced the real love of Christ. Right. Otherwise, it's like almost 
crazy mm-hmm. or wrong. And so we must anchor this in a, in a deeper love of Christ. So mm. press into the love of Christ. And what I would encourage there, if you go, that, that's a difficult concept, is to, is to uh, seek, knock, and ask mm. that the door may be open to you to right. experience the love of Christ. Mm. So. so good. Um, yeah, Shane put a passage, um, writing of Matthew 7, 3. I think probably about the dif- um, about not being entitled. Yeah. Um, and then we have a few people typing. So. Yeah. What what a powerful powerful I think webcast and just like I think a word that we all need to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, like one I'll share just maybe a quick testimony. Um, <laughs> thanks, Abby. Um, is that we become entitled as Christians to think that, like, we're owed, for example, like if you have a musical gift, you're owed the opportunity to lead worship. Mm-hmm. If you have a speaking gift, you're owed the opportunity to preach. Mm-hmm. If you have a leadership gift, that you're owed the opportunity to lead. Mm-hmm. We're not owed any of those things. No. Those things are gifts that are given to us. Right, and responsibilities. And responsibility. And so we should be thankful when we have right. the opportunity. It, not resentful when we don't Mm -hmm. you see how like entitlement breeds bitterness but enslavement to christ breeds thankfulness Mm. like that's the key difference is joy and thankfulness versus bitterness and resentment like i don't know choose your i don't know what you want to drink but i'd rather drink the cup of of joy in the lord (laughs) so um laura saying um i feel like that the attitudes are relevant to this conversation Brooke. Now there's like lots of people talking. I feel like we're just breeding conversation here. <laughs> I don't even know what we're starting. <laughs> Laura says, I feel like the Beatitudes are relevant to this combo. Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm doing the Beatitudes in my simple church right now. I got a holy guacamole in here. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Oh my gracious. I don't think I've ever seen so many people typing. No. Really, a lot of them here. I know. But yeah, I think it's easy to think. I think what John pointed out, just like with venting, it's not <laughs> typically seen with entitlement. Yeah. And so just like that realization and um, when we do confess, there's no but, there's no and. There's no and. Yeah, there's no, I know this is probably about me, but man, let me tell you. Oh, yes, yes. That's good. Thank you, Jaden. That was a valuable contribution to the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what that is, so. Um, So the time where we start seeing random photos get dropped in, it's 8.42. I think we're good to call it a wrap. Um. <laughs> um, there is no webcast next week. Oh, yes. This is big news. No webcast next week. So make sure you join the International Canada Day celebrations. Um, and we will see you again, I believe, July 8th, that Thursday. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's it for now. Love you guys. And 
I'm away for a couple of weeks after this, so you won't see me for a few weeks, but actually through the month of July, you won't hear from me at all uh, on the webcast. We got guests every week. So make sure um, you type in who you think it's gonna be. Who you think it's gonna be. Who's gonna be on the webcast July, what's the first? 8th. July 8th is the next webcast. So we'll see you on Sunday yes. at uh, Livecast and uh, Regions Gatherings as well as Town Hall right yep. afterwards. Love you guys. Be blessed.